In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to Broads and Books, the podcast with one unique theme, four hand-picked book recommendations, and two broads. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. In our regular episodes on Wednesdays, we tell you about our favorite books based on different weekly themes. In every episode, you get one clear idea. Books are our boyfriends and girlfriends and every form of significant other. Soulmates, really. Yes. So we had a thought. Those authors that write the books we love, they probably feel like soulmates with books, too. They probably do. So we figured we should ask them about their life partnerships with books. And that's what this new bonus series is all about. Today on the Broads Talk Books With, we've got Julia Phillips. I recommended her book, Disappearing Earth, in episode 51, where we talked about relationships gone bad. So we got Julia on the phone, and she was an absolute dream. An absolute dream. So great. We talked about her favorite books, how she organizes her library, which personally I liked, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wild fan encounters, her surprising pop culture obsession, and so much more. She was a goddamn delight, Erin. Yes, she was. She makes amazing recommendations, and you'll find all of them in the show notes on your podcast player and our website. You will absolutely find something to add to your increasingly unrealistic to be red pile. If you've subscribed to Broads and Books in your favorite podcast player, you'll get each of these bonus episodes right to you. But you can also find them at our website at broadsandbooks.com. Everything that you need, we provide. Everything. And now, here's our interview with Julia Phillips. We like to start off with, you know, us as younger people. Did you have a favorite book as a kid or a teen that you remember? Gosh, I really, really loved um, fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales. I was really obsessed with growing up. And I also was very into Roald Dahl, specifically Matilda. I um, 
carried Matilda around with me and wanted to be her very, very badly. <laughs> well, another thing that we've discussed a couple times on the podcast uh, is classics that we struggled with, or maybe for some readers might have been a turnoff early on in their reading career. Was there any classic that maybe through school or something that you were forced to read that you struggled with? <laughs> I have a lot of guilt to this day about, um, uh, I still have a lot of trouble with James Joyce and with William Faulkner, who I, I first um, picked up or was instructed to pick up in high school, um, both of whom I've just never understood how to, how to read a sentence. No. Uh, Dublin, Dubliners was okay. <laughs> Dubliners I could do, but everything beyond that <laughs> was really challenging. And Faulkner, I've really um, not even been able to dip my toe into. So no, I no, aspire no. to that, but <laughs> it's very challenging. <laughs> it is. And I think you're right that somehow we feel guilty yes. because these are supposed to be the classics, but there's just nothing there for a lot of us. Yeah. It's interesting to me. There are so many books I read, classics that I read when I was younger that when I reread them, I thought, oh, you know, I, now is the right time for me to read them. And I see now that there's something there that I couldn't access before. But there are other books that um, I haven't found that, that way in yet. And there are lots of other interesting things to read, yeah. certainly. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thinking about other interesting things that uh, you may have found in the past, um, were there particular books that you remember reading and thinking, I want to do this someday? Like, this is what I want to do. Hmm. That's a great question. I think <laughs> so many of the books that I loved, loved, loved in high school are not the ways that I aspired to write, but they were certainly the the feeling of being so immersed in storytelling um, was something that I wanted to do very badly, a feeling I was always chasing in my reading and my writing. So I loved mm -hmm. um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and I, I would not at all say that I write in a magic realist thread, but I absolutely was knocked to the ground every single time I read one of his books. I think he was just a brilliant, um, brilliant storyteller in every way. And his writings, even in translation, are so stunning. I was really into Francesca Lea Block and really into um, Philip Pullman, kind of golden, oh, golden yeah. compass stories. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that is interesting that all of those three books probably can't, there can't be a direct line drawn to your book, but somehow they affected you so deeply. They affected me so deeply. Just the experience of, of reading and feeling um, so blown away by these imaginary worlds and that I loved that so much. I just loved the experience of reading fiction, even if on a sentence level, what I admired about these writers was very different from what I aspired to in my own work. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I don't think I've heard anyone else make that distinction. Yeah, like yeah. I really liked the immersion of these things, mm -hmm. but maybe not necessarily the yeah. style or exactly. the genre. Yeah. Or oh, I love, and I, and and even to say I love the style and the genre of all of those writers, but it wasn't what <laughs> I, I think I had this, I think for a long time I had this idea that who I would be writing, you know, that I was trying to write like John Updike, um, even as, <laughs> and I'm a big, big Updike fan, but that was not, those were not the stories that most immersed me, but it felt like that was what, uh, I don't know. I don't know that, that you were yeah, what I ought yeah. to do or something, yeah. what I ought, the, the tradition I ought to try to be in. Yes. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, obviously, another thing we cover a lot on the podcast is our current reading lives and our, you know, increasingly not attainable to be read piles. Oh my gosh, um, yes. <laughs> can you, how many books are on your TBR pile? Are there a few you can share? <laughs> and are you comfortable sharing the yeah. amount of books? I, I am not. <laughs> I don't think it, I honestly don't think it can be counted. I have organized my bookshelf yeah. at this point into um, books I've I recently reorganized my bookshelf into books that are on their side that I've already read and books that are standing up and down that I have yet to read. And it is about, and I've got a pretty big bookshelf and I would say 40% of it I haven't read yet. There are so many books that I want to read that aren't, um, that, that just keep piling up and that I'm so excited (laughs) to get into. I'm really, Oh my gosh. <laughs> my own bookshelf is the same way. I oh, you're kidding me. That I haven't, no, that I haven't read. And I look at it and I think, what am I doing? It's good though. And then I buy another I book. Know. I, this, I, you know. A couple of years yeah. ago, I told myself I was going to stop buying books unless I um, knew the person personally or was like really, you know, if it, if the book was just out and I, and I like was really invested in supporting it and signaling that I support it. And that, um, <laughs> that is no standard at all. It turns out that has not, <laughs> that has not <laughs> restricted any of my book buying in the least. I just keep going. It's really terrible, but I, I really am excited. Two books that I bought in the past year that I'm so excited about reading and really are Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz and We Cast a Shadow by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Um, and I'm so excited about those. And the other day I was actually, I had the good luck of talking to Maurice about a challenge in, in the project I'm working on right now. We were talking about narrative voice and, and I was, I was talking about it. He was like, he was like, you know, have you read my book? <laughs> he was like, he was like, my book is, is, you know, speaks to exactly the issue that you're talking about um, in terms of having a first person narrator and like conveying unreliability in that narrator. And I was like, I've had your book sitting on my shelf <laughs> since the day it came out. I keep on like, and I haven't read. So that's my number one, both for personal research and for, um, relationship maintenance. I got to read this book. I'm so excited about it. It's just us. We yeah. don't have anyone we're talking to. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's added pressure. <laughs> I don't know. I think it takes the pressure off too because I, everyone, I think everyone is in the same position of having too yeah. much to read. There's so many good things. And the more you read, the more good stuff. It seems like the faster yes. I read, the more there is that I'm behind on. Right. Well, and as we continue to talk to authors, we start getting recommendations of books we've oh, heard. Yeah. So now my list, my list just keeps growing and growing and growing. Unattainable. Yes. But still fun. It's so it's fun. so fun. This is part of the fun of being alive that we just keep chasing, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Well, of the of the books that you have been able to to get to um, recently, is there been a book that particularly surprised you? When oh, I just read. Um, this week, I just read Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And did you, okay, yes, you, I was yes. blown away. What did you think of it? Yeah. I was blown away. Was the same thing. Yeah, the way that there's, there's almost like a magical realism element of it. The way absolutely in there. It, and it was, it was, I read it so fast, but yet it's so 
uh, well-written. Too. It's it was, so well-written. It really it's good. so funny and crisp and sharp. And I had never read any of his work yes. before. And I was just bowled over. I, as soon as I finished it, I finished it in the middle of the night and I sent an email to a friend and I was like, I need you to read this book right now so we can talk about it. I just need you to read it at, you know, two in the morning. This was coming to her. So you have a friend like Aaron and I, where is, you know, as soon as one of us reads, God, we've got to read. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if you, and if you guys have this together, but the friend that I do this with, um, who's a a writer, her name's Lee Stein. She and I have really different tastes in reading. So there are some books that we recommend to each other that both of us love. And there are some books that we recommend to each other that the other person's like, I hate this. Why did you say (laughs) that? Which is very fun. Yeah, there's some that land right in that middle. Like yes, totally. Yeah. There's some that I'm like, I don't know. And Amy's like, I loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That we feel like that makes us good partners. I think so too. I think it, it's, it's a really nice reminder um, all the time to know that, loving a book is a, such a subjective experience and what we get out of it is so personal. And I think it's easy when we read in isolation to assume like, this is good and this is bad and not be able. And when we're in a conversation with someone else, it, it is much, um, it I think helps us perceive that this book is not good or bad on its own. It just isn't, yeah. isn't my taste or doesn't do it for me. Or... And you're right. Yeah. And when you can connect with someone about a book, it just, Oh, it's the, the best. Experience. It's mm-hmm. so incredible. It's the yeah. best. It is the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you go about finding book recommendations? Like you mentioned, do they come from friends? Do you, you know, you mentioned that you only buy ones of people. You yes. Is that me? <laughs> so many of the books, I mean, people I know, that's a funny thing to say. I really, it's like people who's, <laughs> as if I know all these, these writers, really, I, I, well, I know like a couple people, but really I, for example, Jakira Diaz, like I saw her, I'd never met her and I saw her read at an event and her reading was so incredible. And this was a few months before Ordinary Girls came out. I ran <laughs> to the cash register and I said, I, I have to pre-order this book. This book is incredible. And, you know, when you see wow. it's, I think to see someone in person for me really um, is so compelling. So I love to find um, new work through going to events and hearing people read and just hearing their own work and their own voices that is so exciting to me but most of the way I read these days actually read is through my library um, and specifically through ebooks of the library and the way that I do that is that the um, the library app that I have uh, yeah, yeah exactly right so when it, uh, it shows me what is how do they put it most popular what's most popular at my library and so then I go to that and I start going through and I take out anything that's available and I put on hold anything I'm interested in and that is most of the way uh, the hold list sort of decides the books that I read next and it's the best because I find I'm reading so many things that you know I've heard of or look intriguing or the cover is fascinating or, you know, any, any other people are reading it. And I say, Oh, wow. I wonder why. And it is such a, it's, it's a much um, broader and more fun way to read than I'd read in the past where the books I was reading were things that I was buying. And so there was um, this sort of immediate need for an investment. I think that 
kept my reading mm-hmm. much more conservative in many ways. That's, That's a good point. point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. We both, Amy and I love the library. Oh God. We get so excited <sighs> when things that are on hold come in. We're, it's yeah. it's so thrilling. I also get, I don't know if you have, I also get so upset when I want to read a book and the library doesn't um, yes. have it for some yes. reason. Like the library hasn't acquired the yeah, book. Failed me, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm like, how dare you? And then I feel like the library would never fail me. Yes. So it has to be some other link in the chain. You know, I was like, who is keeping this book from being in the library? It must be that somebody. <laughs> yeah. How dare <laughs> Yeah. Before, before we got on the call, actually, Erin was just telling me that she picked up another like five to 10 books on yeah, your whole list. Oh my gosh. They all come in at the same time. I went and there was only, they, all, they always come in at once. Yes. And I was like, they always come in at once. I thought I was only picking up It's two. so stressful. It's stressful. And there were five and I got a little sweaty because I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go. Of course. You're like, I got to cancel all my plans. This is it. I can't like, yeah, you know. got homework to do. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so thinking about um, Disappearing Earth, we yeah. are recommending it in an upcoming episode. And I know you and I have talked about it previously mm. in the journal. Um, thinking about, you know, when you were writing this, were there any particular books at the moment or that you, from the past that you think helped you or that you drew from in order to write the book? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a lot of research around, well, first off, a lot of nonfiction books and research, um, around Kamchatka, which is the region where the book is set. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to know more about the history, know more about, um, the indigenous history of Kamchatka, know more about the history of colonization on Kamchatka, the Soviet era there. Um, so reading us a lot of, in some ways, sometimes um, like natural history, like there's a book called, mm-hmm. I think, Stellar's History of Kamchatka by a guy named George Stellar, um, mm-hmm. who was a naturalist or a biologist. Let's see. He wrote it in 1743 and 1744. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but he was one of the first. So yeah, he was a, a German, I believe. Um, who was mm-hmm. in one of the first uh, colonizing excursions to the region and wrote a lot about nature there and, and um, different animals and different sea creatures. Uh, there, it was fun to read all these different people's perspectives on this single place that has had such a multifaceted and complicated and, and painful history. Well, was it weird to you that knowing that you had been there and I didn't tell you this, Aaron, but yeah. she, uh, Julia went there knowing that you'd been there. Was it interesting to read some of that history and uh, the natural history? Knowing oh, that seen yeah, it was fascinating. Well, it was fascinating and it was wonderful. And so much of what is described in these books, I haven't seen um, because for example, a lot of the, uh, animals, not a lot, but a few of the animals described in Stellar's book, for example, have been uh, driven extinct by by hunting. And so there are animals there that sort of shaped this place as a rich and robust um, ecosystem through which especially these Russian colonizers could create an economy. And the economy has since transformed because those animals were killed off 
it, that's really fascinating to me to think about where um, the sort of many economic lives and the many uh, natural lives that is sort of natural arcs of different living creatures in this region, how they've intersected and, and come and gone. Um, it was also fascinating to me to read about so many of the choices made in Kamchatka by the government over the past couple centuries have been around um, preservation of certain lands to support given economies. Like, for example, the natural parks there were created as um, sable hunting reserves. And I'd spent a lot of time in, in natural parks, uh, national parks there. And to understand better the history and the sort of top level justifications that had gone on for creating those places, that was, that was fascinating to me. <laughs> That's, that all sounds very nerdy, I fear. Um, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't only read, you know, scientific texts about Kamchatka, <laughs> even if I did. If I only did that, I think the book would be really well grounded. Um, There'd be a lot of facts. <laughs> There'd be a lot of facts. I, I also found, as I worked on the manuscript, I read a lot of so much of the the book is about, you know, these two sisters who go missing and the impact that has on the community around them. And so I ended up reading a lot of memoirs of um, grief and loss, especially uh, around children who were abducted or uh, parents who lost their children. Um, one that was huge for that was a book called Wave by Sonali Darinayak. I'm not sure I pronounced her last name, Durana Yagala. It's a, a memoir that she wrote after the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami in which she lost her husband, her two children, and both her parents. Oh, um, yeah, it, it's really an extraordinary memoir. Um, and it talks about grief not in a narrative of like this terrible thing happened and I've since healed, but as grief as um, this thing happened and it, it will never be recovered from like, this is an immense, this is an immense tragedy and every day I am navigating it in a new way. And she really um, is open in her grief and in her loss and reading that was extraordinary. Um, I read a, a, a few other memoirs of um, parents who had lost children and also a bunch of memoirs of folks who had been abducted and then kept in captivity. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's so a lot of light reading, Just a lot of light scattered. reading, a little yeah. beach reading yeah. right there. <laughs> some <Yeah>. beach reading. <laughs> well, it's, it was, it was so helpful, the research just yeah. to, and in the same way that it's so helpful to read in general, I think to not only understand the events of people's lives, but also understand how people live in general, like even in the yeah. most challenging and brutal and tragic circumstances, um, to understand, you know, 
on the day-to-day level, the moment-to-moment level, like what are we thinking? What do we do? How do we proceed? To me, that is um, the reason I read fiction or nonfiction is to understand that. And, and I think a memoir, the way a memoir invites you inside someone's mind is extraordinary. Wow. Wade is uh, really good. Jeez. Yeah. Wade is really, really good. I asked another question, but I'm still, (laughs) my mind is, yeah, I'm just letting it wash over. Abduction memoirs. Abduction memoirs. I know. I know. It's a good, it's a good thing to, to, um, sometimes in these most extreme, situations like these most unimaginable and really you know with abduction especially abduction by a stranger statistically rare situations it's like the most human parts come out of the person um they're they're just everyone's just a normal person person pushed to their most um challenging situation and and all their kind of normal usual coping and comforting mechanisms come out. Yeah. That's really interesting to read. Well, you can, yeah. I mean, you can obviously tell where that research is gone in the mm-hmm. novel and congrats, by the way, on all the end of the year. Oh, boy, thank you. Yes. You were killing it at the end of the year and beginning of the Jeez, year. Thank so you. Thank you. Well, there's uh, five questions we like to ask all authors towards the end of the interview. And the first one, is we want to know about one of your most memorable fan interactions, whether that was weird or fun, crazy, scary. scary. Yeah, we've heard them all. Most memorable fan interactions, meaning I'm the fan or someone else is the fan? Someone else is the fan. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe at a book signing or an event and a fan interaction (gasps) in some way. I just felt like we were in improv. Right, right. Um. My most memorable interaction is uh, kind of a bummer. Uh, it stands, it's, and it's, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it stands out because it is so unusual. Um, most, you know, getting to have this book out in the world and, and touring with it and meeting different people and talking to different people has been such a gift and an education and a joy. Um, it's just been like the most wonderful experience. And this was really pretty much the only experience I've had that was startlingly uh, challenging, which which is that uh, someone came up to me after reading and was like, um, you have repressed childhood trauma and you don't remember it. And like, this is you, that's what she was like. It's, it's so clear. And you're in the, in the reading that you need to, write about that. And that's like the real truth. And like this book is, you know, put this book aside and, and just start to write about your, your trauma. And, um, and then she, and, and I was, and I had like a really strong reaction to that. And yeah. she was, and then she, and then she handed me her card and her card was like repressed oh. trauma therapist. You know what I mean? It was very clear that like, this was her, <laughs> you know, this was her thing. This was uh, how she, how she absorbed. So she went to like a conference and they said for sales, go yeah. to office. I think, yeah. Tell them that they have I think probably them. like at any cocktail party she's at or, or pizza parlor or anything. Oh, she like, no matter what anyone she says, she says, uh, you have repressed trauma. Yeah, exactly. At their Chuck E. Cheese, she's like, stop playing pinball and listen to this. But, <laughs> but it was, it was really, 
it was really intense, but it was fascinating, the experience, because it really, um, it, sometimes these uh, tough interactions, you know, that the knee-jerk reactions that come up in us or in me teach me a lot about what kind of my most deeply held feelings are on a subject. And I was shocked at how much of my reaction was around like, this is fiction. Fiction is beautiful. Like you don't understand what fiction is. Like I felt very, very, very strongly defensive of um, the ability to write or like the freedom to write fiction as imaginary and joyful. Where you like, listen, I read a book from 1740. <laughs> yes. This is not about my trauma. <laughs> <laughs> it was real. I, oh I, I, I said, I, oh, yeah, I wish I, I wish I'd had a great comeback, but instead I was just like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's such I know. I know. Just saying yeah, I think it was like just- grinning and going along and then spending the next yeah. eight months raging about it. I- <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. Exactly right. That would be great if you had like autographed her card and handed it back to her. Oh, you didn't want an autograph? Oh. Oh. I think she, also, I mean, like to give this woman credit, I think she's trying to do her best in the world. You know, we're all just trying to do our best. Like, I think she, I don't think she meant to shock or hurt me. She meant to um, be really helpful to me. And it just didn't, it just didn't land. yeah, that That's a generous reading of situation. Yeah. <laughs> well, thinking about better times, um, <laughs> as you started, you know, um, publicizing the book and getting out into events and probably meeting other authors, um, was there someone, uh, another author that you had wanted to meet and you got to meet that person and it went well? Oh my gosh. So, so many, That's awesome. uh, everybody. Um, (laughs) every single, every single person I have met, um, people that are my heroes, people that are, um, you know, like people that same as me are coming out with their first book and and just learning the ropes have been so extraordinarily open and generous and genuine. And it really, um, it's like a bomb on the soul of the uh, reader child that I was who felt like these authors were, were like some different species of, of human being. Everyone is so wonderful. I remember meeting Susan Choi this fall and just like being bowled over by how incredibly, um, incredibly kind and forthright and, real she was I that's a funny thing to say that someone's real I guess everyone is real but I think when you see someone that from a distance seems to me to be so glamorous and so talented and and just like a master of their craft it is hard for me to also ascribe to them like they're a normal person who you know like sleeps at night and brushes their teeth (laughs) and she was just extraordinary I also want to like I haven't met yet Tyree Jones in person, but I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. And she, um, every interaction I've had with her, which has like been online or, you know, through messaging or through email, she has been so extraordinarily generous, which with what I imagine is like 
a negative 30 seconds of free time with her day. I can't imagine how busy she is. I cannot imagine how busy she is. And yet every single time we're in contact, she acts like she's like, this is, I've got nothing more important to do. She's so incredibly supportive of everybody else. She lifts everybody up. She's just, I can't believe it. That it just blows me away that people can be um, such a role model, not only in their craft, but in the way that they live. That's so cool. We love to hear that too, that some of them, especially when we hear people, we love too, that they're just adults Yeah, and they use the bathroom and they do. (laughs) I can't verify that for anyone I've met, but I think (laughs) (laughs) can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) Totally. Totally. How would you say your love or joy of reading has changed since you became a published writer? Um, it's interesting. It, (laughs) it's since I've become a published writer, I, for the first time have books that I'm, um, that I have, I have like homework that's reading before, (laughs) before I had, you know, when I was, when I work on a manuscript, there are books that I want to read, or I feel like I have to read in order to research it. You know, maybe they're, they're research books or comp titles or, but that, is sort of self-assigned reading and quite um, a pleasure to just dig further into whatever obsession is leading me into the writing that day. So Mm -hmm. there's a different kind of joy that is not self-assigned that has come of getting the opportunity to do book reviews, for example, um, or getting the opportunity to blurb other people's books. Mm -hmm. It's, it feels more like being in school again and having someone say, you have to read this by this day and um, respond in this way. That that being not respond in this way being like we need X number of sentences back, X number of words back, or um, and I should say sometimes it feels like you have to, and sometimes it feels like you get to. I mean, it really is yeah, like yeah, I get yeah. to have the joy of reading books that aren't out yet, or critically engaging in books in ways I wouldn't otherwise. But it also is like. February, I had, um, I think six or seven, no, January, some month, either last month or this month, I had like six or seven blurbs due in a month. And there, like, there was no other, um, there's no other reading to do. And even there, it turned out to be, there's no other time to read things, even those books that, that I was hoping to read in blurb, I couldn't get to all of them. And that really, um, was a totally new experience for me and really quite challenging and, and interesting. I see that. Yeah. The, yeah. Just the change in the, um, the, the, the demands on your time as far as a reader. Yeah. But like a, in a, in a happy way, but in a new way and new things are challenging for me to get used to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there a book that you wish everyone would read? Um, I, wish everyone in the world to read. I think that's a tough one. I don't know what, <laughs> um, but definitely an impossible. I do. <laughs> I do wish that um, this is a funny thing to say, but I wish that every white person in America, which is a lot of people, you know, I'm like, like, so uh-huh. I feel like I'm casting a wide net there. I wish everyone would read white fragility um, by Robin DiAngelo. I, I really, when I read that, I 
thought, oh, this is this is a this is a textbook. Like this should be in schools um, and in every school uh, to teach um, white people what we have not been teaching each other, which is how to have conversations about power and race in the society that we live in. Um, she really, really clearly and simply argues for um, how not having those conversations hurts everybody and how, wow. you know, it, it's like a primer for how to exist in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. And when I read that, I thought, well, geez, this is, this is it. If I'm assigning a book to everybody, absolutely everybody, I would say Good Talk by Mira Jacob, which came out last year. That is, I love that book. I love that book. I mean, she models in that book how to have conversations and be alive in the world, like yes. trying, you know, trying to hurt other people less. And um, I feel like that is joyful and challenging and wonderful for every single person who reads it and um, as a companion text, white people in America can read white fragility. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should request that everyone reads it before the election. Yeah. Maybe it'll yeah. change things. Yeah. I, we, well, let's make all sorts of requests for people, uh, things to do before the election in 2020. That would be fantastic. <laughs> great. <laughs> well, another thing that we do in the podcast is cover some pop culture at the end, maybe things that we're obsessed with, like other podcasts, Ooh. music, TV shows. Mm -hmm. What's one of your current pop culture obsessions? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really recently, in the past month or so, have not been able to stop listening to Show Yourself from Frozen 2. No. Have you have you guys seen Frozen 2? <laughs> yes, actually, I have. <laughs> I, okay. I cannot. How do you feel about this? I feel like this song is setting me over the edge. Like, I cannot stop listening uh -huh, to it. It's like a weird Pied it's Piper thing really with their song. <laughs> yeah, you get sucked in and then you can't get back out. Yeah. Wow. I you, really, I really cannot stop. I think it's sort of, it's like the, it's sort of the um, longer and less distilled version of I Am Moana from Moana, which I also listen to all the time, <laughs> which is a perfect song. But I really, I really love um, an, an anthem where in, where someone says like, I'm embracing my power. And like, I was afraid yes. to be myself, but now I'm myself. I love that. I love that kind of subgenre of songs. So I I wish I could um <laughs> I've been listening to that song like four hours a day. <laughs> Are you feeling empowered after listening to it? I do. Every single time I feel empowered and every single time midway through the song I get very teary. I was listening to it on the subway the other day and I was like, oh my God <laughs> She's embracing her power. It was so, <laughs> so you were on a nonstop emotional roller coaster. Oh, constantly. I get off the roller coaster and I get right back on. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm never going to look at Frozen 2 the same. No. That's amazing. So I, want, I, I want you to make a Spotify playlist. Just to that whole oh, my God. There's so many great anthems. I'm the Greatest Star from Funny Girl is also like that. Oh my God. Also defying gravity. I, basically anything, oh, anything Adina Menzel sings, you're like, sure, sure, this sure. is it. 
I don't think I could have ever predicted that would have been your pop culture obsession. That I love, it. I love, I it, so I love it so much. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's, so it's really been pretty intense. Thank you. Thank you for being such a receptive <laughs> conversation partners in that. It's really been very intense. Well, thank you for sharing this yeah. very personal part. <laughs> yeah. Erin, we just had our interview with Julia Phillips. She's so great. She's so great. She's so great. One of the things that I loved Mm -hmm. that I really glommed onto Mm -hmm. is the fact of how she organizes her library. Yeah. Because I do it the exact same way. When Julia said that, I was watching your face and there was like a moment of like, oh, she's seen my soul. Yes. She's seen into me and myself. I've never met anyone else that does that where they're half the red and then the unread Mm -hmm. and that you just keep buying books and the unread side keeps getting bigger and you're like, I don't care. I don't care. I buy with a bank. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think because of that, you guys are are connected now. Yes. Forever. And I do the same thing. I create arbitrary rules for books I'm going to buy and then I break them. And then you break them. Yeah. Yeah. We can't be contained. Yes. By even our own rules. No, absolutely not. I was really um, impressed by the extent of the research that she did when she was reading yeah. for Disappearing Earth. And also afterwards, you and I talked about how rough it must have been to just be reading abduction memoirs. Oh, my goodness. Over and over. Yeah, to like, live in you, that. Yeah, how do you let that go after a while? No. And obviously, I mean, the product in, is in her book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yes. So you can see that all that research paid off, but that had to be really tough. Yeah. Really tough. Yeah. Hard and, to live in. And you were saying like one ear triggers is always children yes. being put in situation. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that I think you would have really tapped out on that one. Yeah, I would have mm-hmm. probably, mm-hmm. probably. Um, one of the other things that was just a dream because mm-hmm. I live this every once in a while yeah. with my granddaughter charlie mm-hmm. is that she loves the frozen song from frozen 2 i was so delighted by that it was Little amazing tidbit. and yeah. now i will forever think of julia phillips <laughs> when i hear frozen even coming out of charlie's mouth <laughs> i just picture because you said you know you will listen to a song over and over yes again. so i'm just picturing her just repeat yes. listening to this over and over yeah. i love it yeah, yeah. that was like another thing that i was like somebody sees me like yeah. that's what i do God, I think really this interview has just shown that you're connected in some real weird ways, spiritual ways. Yes. You know, emotional yes. ways. Yeah. For sure. And I do that thing too, where you get a little part of it, even though you've listened to it 400 times mm-hmm. and then one part catches you and you kind of yeah. start crying. Yeah. Totally have that. And I have to admit, I've never heard this new song, but I imagine it's a delight. I it don't is. know. Okay, it is a great. delight. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it's your word It's a delight. For it. Great. Um, one of the things that disturbed me the most was her fan encounter. Was she a fan or was she trying to shill her own business? The psychotherapist. Yeah, business for sure. That basically came up and said, you're traumatized and let's Mm -hmm. talk about it. Mm -hmm. Which as a lot of the authors we talked to, Julia's very generous reading of that situation was like, she's just doing her best. And you and me were looking at each other like, nope. Not doing her best. Uh -uh. She's doing her worst. Mm -hmm. That's just real. So you have permission, Julia, to be like, no, that woman's crazy. Yeah. Legit, I don't have trauma exactly. that I want to talk to you about. Yeah. And if I can survive reading a bunch of abduction memoirs. Yeah, I got put, this. Yeah. Settle down. Good Lord. It made oh, me goodness. upset, Erin. Yeah. I was upset on her I behalf. I also thought it was just a weird way for the psych... Like, I was imagining that psychotherapist, like, does she go to a lot of readings yeah. and just wait to hear? Yeah. You know? Because books are... I mean, they're kind of known for being making you raw, vulnerable. Like, she's just waiting for an author and then, like, jumping on it. Like, hey. You know? And to be honest, yeah. I mean, I... 
I know me personally, when I write, like I feel like I reveal parts of myself that Absolutely. are kind of harsh. So if someone came up to me, oh, I... God, that'd be oh, devastating. Man, that'd be rough. Yeah. So another point for her, for being able to handle that yes. with grace. Meanwhile, Aaron and I were ready for fisticuffs. We here. were. Yeah. The minute that I feel loyalty to you, <laughs> I will fight for you. I'm not good at it. It's probably not going to go well, but I will do it. You will probably cut yourself before you cut the other person. For sure. Yeah. But I would do it for you Julia Phillips. It. Absolutely. Because that was, she was amazing. <laughs> well, we will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. In the meantime, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com, and check out all of these bonus episodes. And if you missed any, now's the perfect time to get listening. Like we said, this is a new series of bonus episodes we're providing. Have you seen them all? Have you listened to them all? You should. They're you all should. terrific. They're amazing. Mona Watt, Chanel Benz, Angie Kim, and more coming all the time. Got a list, Darren. They're a incredible. list. Incredible. Yes. So subscribe now in your favorite podcast player, and you'll get them all direct to you. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're, they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.